This is MIT Technology Review. One thing we know about the climate crisis is it makes extreme weather more likely. But can we look back at specific storms or heat waves and quantify the actual role played by global warming? Until recently, most climate scientists shied away from answering those questions. But that's starting to change. Because if scientists do not say anything about the role of climate change in an extreme weather event, in the world we live in today where climate change is clearly happening, then only people with a political agenda will give answers to the question. So we thought it's important that we bring scientific evidence into that discussion. I remember an editor at my previous publication saying, you can't attribute any single event to climate change. And for years, that was the stock answer that you would hear from researchers. What seems to have happened is that scientists have found a language that they can get comfortable with, talking about things in terms of statistical odds. But of course, the odds now are so large, coming out of some of these studies, that they are, in effect, saying, yeah, climate change almost certainly played a role here. In the latest issue of MIT Technology Review, energy editor James Temple looks at the science of extreme weather event attribution and explains how it could help us prepare for the next catastrophe. I'm Wade Rausch, and this is Deep Tech. More than a hundred fires are burning across Australia's most populous state. Fire patrols are being tested to the limit. Putting out a spot fire, the next minute there's a 30 metre flame behind us. I mean, you just can't keep up. Hundreds of firefighters spent Christmas Day battling the flames. And authorities say it's just too big to put out. Temperatures in Australia warmer and warmer and warmer. Some Australians argue the fires are a moment of reckoning. When a devastating weather event comes along, such as Australia's bushfires, or similar fires in California last year, it's natural to ask whether global warming was to blame, even if there's rarely been a satisfying yes or no response. But advances in climate modeling are changing that. My name is James Temple. I'm the senior energy editor at MIT Technology Review, which actually means I mostly write and report about climate change and all the things that we need to address climate change including the things scientists are doing to link human-induced warming to individual weather events by modeling how those events might have played out differently in the absence of carbon emissions and other human activities. It's called extreme weather event attribution. That's a clunky term that refers to the studies that researchers conduct in the aftermath of events like droughts and heat waves and hurricanes to determine the likelihood that climate change played a role in that event happening at all or in the severity of the event. And What's important about them is that, in a pretty real way, they're helping us to understand what climate change is, not what it might mean in 20 years or 50 years or 100 years, but what it's already doing and how it's already increasing the risks that we're living with here today now. James says this shift first caught his attention after Hurricane Harvey hammered Southeast Texas in the summer of 2017. Carrie Emanuel, who's a, a pretty noted hurricane and climate researcher at MIT, ended up making some public statements about how much climate change had changed the likelihood of an event of that magnitude. 
part of what changed here is that scientists found a way to get comfortable talking about those things. They're still not, for the most part, going to come out and say, yes, this particular storm absolutely was caused by climate change or, or wasn't caused by climate change. But by doing these sorts of extreme weather attribution studies, they can say with some degree of certainty that in a world where climate change didn't occur and a world where climate change did occur, the odds of that event happening, a, a, an event of that magnitude or severity, were X percent higher than they would have been in that alternate reality. This spring, a group of researchers called World Weather Attribution put out a report asking that exact question about the fires in Australia. Their models showed that thanks to climate change, the hot, dry weather responsible for the fires was at least 30% more likely to strike Australia, and possibly much more likely than that. This kind of information could, in theory, help policymakers and emergency responders be more prepared for future fire seasons. In the long run, it could also help nations sort out responsibility for the climate crisis and decide who should be paying most to fix it. That's why Technology Review named it a breakthrough technology for 2020. World Weather Attribution is co-led by a professor at the University of Oxford named Frederica Otto. She's also the director of Oxford's Environmental Change Institute. So first of all, it's important to highlight that every extreme weather event has multiple causes. So the question of the role of climate change will never be a yes or no question. It, it will always be, did climate change make it more likely or less likely, or did climate change not play a role? So when we want to find out whether climate change did play a role, we use observations and different climate models and simulate what is possible weather in the world we live in today. And because we know very well how many greenhouse gases have been added into the atmosphere since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, we can take these out of the atmosphere of our climate models. And so we can simulate a world that might have been exactly as it is today, but without man-made climate change. And because the only thing that is different between these two worlds is man-made climate change, we can attribute this change or this increase in likelihood to climate change. Otto says assessing how climate change contributed to the fires in Australia was tough for a bunch of reasons. First, the researchers had to decide what to measure. Should it be temperature or rainfall or wind speed or soil conditions or all of the above? In the end, they came up with a fire weather index that combined all of these variables. Then they had to deal with the fact that existing climate models aren't very good at predicting extreme highs in temperature, especially on a local scale like the southeastern region of Australia where the fires were the worst. So we were only able to give a lower bound. So that means ultimately our headline result was that climate change made fire weather at least 30% more likely. Likely the role of climate change is much higher, but with the current generation of climate models, we are not able to quantify that. So James, I have a series of questions for you that in a way they all kind of boil down to the question, so what? Good question. Given that we can't actually move to these counterfactual worlds, we can't undo right. Right. climate change. Right. What kinds of tools does this science give us? Yeah, yeah. I think there are basically two ways that this could affect things. One is that to the degree these studies are telling us what a hundred year storm or a, a 10 year flooding event looks like today in the present and helps us update 
those sorts of risk profiles, it is delivering very actionable information in terms of how we should build our cities and systems going forward. You know, it, it says pretty clearly that we shouldn't be building any more homes in the flood zones of Houston, for instance, because it's saying that what was once a 2000 year event is now probably more like a 100 year event. But I think if we're really smart about it uh, and you, you take climate attribution studies, plus all the, the work that's been done on climate modeling generally, it's saying, you know, look how much one measly degree C increase in, in global temperatures has already changed the world. And to me, that really underscores the importance of avoiding two degrees C. If we have the computing power and the years of data that allow us to attribute extreme weather events to global warming, what other kinds of attribution can we do these days? And is there a whole new science opening up here where we could actually get much more fine-grained in the way we assign responsibility for these events? Um, now you're thinking like a lawyer. I mean, I think, I think, I don't think the math is beyond us here, right? I mean, I certainly, we, we can certainly say roughly what level of historic emissions each nation is responsible for. And I, I looked it up last night. The U.S. pumped out 27% of global CO2 emissions from 1850 to 2014. So by that logic, is the U.S. a quarter responsible for the X percent increase in severity of Y storm that costs Z billions in damages? I, I, I would not be surprised if some enterprising lawyers end up exploring those sorts of legal theories one day. Dr. Otto, I'm also curious whether there's resistance to attribution science from a different direction in the sense that from a policymaker's perspective, it's a bit of a Pandora's box, I imagine. I mean, if you can say with a certain confidence that a hurricane or a drought or a fire was X percent more likely because of climate change, then it seems like it must also be possible to say that same weather event was X percent more likely because the United States or the EU or Australia has burned a certain amount of fossil fuels. Yes. So, and I, in fact, I believe you published a paper in Nature Climate Change um, a few years ago. Doing exactly that. Yeah. Yes. So does that contribute to the debate over the place of this science? Well, there's definitely people who accuse us of just wanting to play blame games, which well, I'm not sure that is a, really an accusation because I don't think that that would necessarily be a bad thing if we would be able, on the basis of these attribution studies, to sue companies or states and thus force them to do more efficient um, climate mitigation. In my view, that, that is one legitimate reason to do attribution. We will not solve the climate problem by these international negotiations alone. We also need to change the way our societies are organized towards societies that are not dependent on burning fossil fuels. And I think on all these other levels, litigation and the courts can play a really important role. And if, if it can lead to different companies changing their business model, then that is a very powerful way of changing society. That's it for this edition of Deep Tech. This is a podcast we're making exclusively for MIT Technology Review subscribers to help bring alive some of the people and ideas you'll find in the pages of our website and our print magazine. But the first four episodes cover our annual 10 Breakthrough Technologies issue, and we're making those episodes free for everyone. Deep Tech is written and produced by me and edited by Michael Riley and Jennifer Strong. 
Our theme is by Title Card Music and Sound in Boston. Special thanks this week to James Fox, Frederica Otto, David Rotman, and James Temple. I'm Wade Rausch. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you back here for our next episode in two weeks. <laughs>